Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. More details about the death of Vincent Jackson and his family will donate his brain to Boston University for CTE research. How do the Rays plan to work their new pitching staff with Michael Waka and Chris Archer, Rich Hill, and Colin McHugh? What did Blake Snell say in the Players' Tribune about how the World Series ended? And will Kevin Kiermaier be in the lineup for the Rays on opening day? We've got all that and more along with Mark Topkin, who covers the race for the Tampa Bay Times. On this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Moffitt Cancer Center. Moffitt is a proud partner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Call them at 1-88-MOFFITT, M-O-F-F-I-T-T. All right, Steve, before we get to Mark Topkin to talk about the Rays and Major League Baseball and some Blue Jays uh, news as well, some uh, some more details about the Vincent Jackson death. Uh, of course, the uh, Hillsborough County Medical Examiner, they had what they what is really just a preliminary case summary. It's not an autopsy. It's not a, a even an incident report. Um, it basically just details dates and times when when they were called to the scene. Um, very few, uh, well, really no no autopsy information whatsoever. So we don't know the cause of death. That was not part of this preliminary uh, summary that they released. Uh, what we did find out is sort of heartbreaking in a way. Um, you know, you remember the authorities went out there, the Hillsborough County sheriffs were acting on a missing persons report from the family, and they went out there and talked to Vincent. They found him at the Home Suites uh, Hotel out in Brandon on Thursday, and they talked to him on Thursday. And sometime between Thursday, and he had been in that hotel since January 11th, um, about Saturday, some hotel staff, I'm assuming maybe a housekeeper, uh, entered the room and saw that Jackson appeared to be slumped in a couch and they thought he was asleep. Uh, so then the next day on Sunday, same situation occurred, a housekeeper or somebody from the hotel entered his, um, his room, noticed he was sort of slumped in a couch again, thought maybe he was asleep left the room. Then finally, when that occurred again on Monday and they saw him in the same position, uh, that's when they contacted 911. And of course, um, he had died. And so it's heartbreaking to, to think, you know, um, you don't know what condition he might have been in, in either of those instances, um, you know, very well may have expired already. The only there was no, um, as we knew earlier in the release, there was no incident or evidence of any kind of trauma or anything. The only thing he had uh, the only physical injury he had was a small laceration uh, on his left great toe, and that that was basically it. But uh, uh, along with the news that 
his family, and this was something that uh, Chad Cronister uh, had said during his radio interview on Wednesday, um, his family wants his brain to be donated uh, to Boston University where they do the CTE research. Um, obviously, they suspect, for whatever reasons, we don't know yet because we haven't spoken to them, just just their uh, spokesperson, Allison Gorell, um, they suspect that um, he may have had CTE, which is a progressive and, and fatal disease. It's very often associated with uh, concussions. And, of course, Vincent played 12 years in the NFL. I saw him have concussions during the time that I was covering him and, and saw him miss time uh, with that. So, uh, again, the, the symptoms with that are not clearly defined with CTE, but some research has indicated they can include um, behavior changes, short-term memory loss, cognitive impairment, and, yes, substance abuse. Um, and, again, this, this part has not been confirmed by the family, but, but uh, Chad Cronister, the sheriff, did say uh, that Vincent had a, um, uh, I guess he said a chronic, it was a chronic alcoholism um, that he suffered from. So it's, uh, <clears throat> it's not easy to talk about. And, uh, you know, I know the family is still, you know, focused on saying goodbye to him and, and, uh, handling arrangements and things like that. Um, but we're going to get this incremental, you know, reports from time to time. I think it'll be probably maybe a month or two before we, we actually get a cause of death. Um, you know, an autopsy uh, result from the coroner, from the medical examiner. So, you know, when that happens, obviously everybody uh, in the news media will be alerted to it and we'll have it for you. But right now, um, that's all we know. And it's it's uh, still doesn't change the result. It's still very sad. And, uh, you know, it gets sadder by the day. But uh, you hope that uh, down the road this family can, can uh, make some sense of this and move on and, um, you know, we're just going to have to going to have to endure some of the the, the stories uh, that that I will be writing, that other people will be writing, um, because he is a public figure. There's interest in his case, and we want to try to learn things. Um, I think I've said before, you know, uh, and again, we don't know if Vincent had CTE. Uh, that'll be forthcoming, but I do know players that did um, that played for the Bucks that that did suffer. Um, you know, changes in personality, uh, depression. Some of them got addicted to drugs, other things that, you know, wound up costing them their lives at a young age and um, uncharacteristic of who they were as people, you know, when they when they came to the NFL. But again, by the time you get to the NFL, you played football from the time you were 10 years old to about 21. So you've taken plenty of hits. And, and But at this level... Um, the violence of the game, even though they try to take the head out of it, is is still it's impossible to do totally, and uh, it is a freeway. I mean, you are when you stand, and we used to be able to stand on the field level uh, and see the actual speed of the game, and it is a blur of color. Um, I don't know how these guys get up from tackles, much less um, you know hard hits that that might involve helmets and things like that, but. Anyway, um, that's all we know about the situation. You're up to date with respect to Benson Jackson. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Murata, where life is like a staycation every day. Contact them at MuradaStayK.com. You know, we're going to switch our emphasis now 
to baseball in the Tampa Bay Rays. Pitchers and catchers beginning to report across Major League Baseball. Of course, we also have the Toronto Blue Jays in Dunedin. Some news about them as well, where they will begin their season in Tampa Bay. So now, for years and years, we try to have more than one team. Now we have two uh, in the Bay Area that will be uh, beginning their regular season. To help us talk about that is a guy that covers the Tampa Bay Rays better than anybody and one of the base, best baseball writers in America for my book. Mark Tompkin joins us now. Mark, uh, exciting day in baseball when the pitchers have to report. Even more exciting when it's a full squad, which will be coming up, we hope, um, pretty soon. But let's talk about the Rays. Look, uh, you know, the offseason was filled with uh, them losing some pretty prominent pitchers on their staff with Charlie Morton and Blake Snell. But they've signed a lot of guys, too. So is this sort of a uh, a quality, quantity over quality, perhaps? I mean, what is the approach that they're taking this year with their pitching staff? It's funny, you might read that uh, similar phrase in my story in uh, uh, Thursday's Tampa Bay Times, because I think it is a, a quality uh, over quantity approach in a way, Rick. And, uh, you know, they did lose their top two starters. They traded Blake Snell. They declined an option on Charlie Morton. And, you know, they let their top lefty reliever Aaron Loop go, too. We kind of gloss over him. But oh, yeah. they uh, they have a pretty, uh, I guess you'd say, a thick squad of, of pitchers. They've signed a bunch. There's actually 40 on the roster. They weren't all there uh, today. One, Diego Castillo, still hadn't uh, shown up yet. And they're going to add uh, Colin McHugh here in the next day or two, a veteran with the Astros and a couple other teams. So, they're going with the quantity approach, uh, and it's going to be interesting because, you know, look, we've seen them do it with the bullpen. That's not that big a deal, but there's really not going to be a set rotation, and even if I'm taking liberties by saying rotation because we know sometimes it's an opener and a bulk inning guy, but I, I don't know that they even know how they're going to do this, and, and Kevin Cash was very candid, and he, he said a couple of buzzwords to me which were open-minded and creative because – this is a team that does a lot of open-minded and creative stuff as it is, and if they're they're touting that now. So I think they're going to patch this together in a bunch of different ways. I think you might see them have like eight or nine guys who can throw 80 to 100 innings rather than five guys in a typical team that, you know, they want to throw 180 innings. And they don't know how guys are going to bounce back from uh, last year being a short season. They don't know how some of these new guys, I think if I counted right, and math is never a forte, but 14 of the guys on the roster of the pitchers are new to the organization this year. And you know, a handful of others are guys up for the minors that they haven't seen either and, and probably won't at least at the start of the year. But there's a whole lot of new to this pitching staff. There's a lot of new, and then there's some old as well, um, starting with Chris Archer, right, who um, – is coming off an injury of his own. He he doesn't come back the way he left, which might be a good thing, I suppose. He's not going to be uh, the number one guy uh, in their rotation if they have one. So you've had a chance to talk to Archer. Just just where is he at uh, mentally, and, and, and how is he embracing uh, his second stint with the Rays? Well, look, I mean, I think to, to be candid about it, Rick, he said all the right things, and he's, he's a smart guy, and, and mm-hmm. I would have been shocked if he hadn't. But, you know, I, I, the way it's kind of being spun at least a little bit is, you know, he's a little bit more mature. He's a little bit humbled by the struggles he's had. You know, look, you can be objective about this, and I think it's fair to say that since the Rays traded him in July of 2018, and they went on a tear that second half of that season. They made the playoffs in 19. They made the playoffs and got to the World Series in 20. They're picked to do well, you know, again now. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But they've been one of the most successful teams in baseball since they traded Chris Archer. And if you look at it objectively, between his injuries and his inconsistencies with Pittsburgh, 
he probably is one of the least successful pitchers in baseball over that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, he was very open in saying he wanted to come back because he felt like he missed out on the success here. He wanted to have some of the fun. He wanted to join the party. And, uh, you know, I think the Rays were in a position. They tried to get some other guys. You know, they tried to sign Corey Kluber. They were in on some trades for Jamison Tyon and for Musgrave and, and a couple others that we probably never heard the details of. But they ended up signing Chris Archer back. A fair amount of money for them, $6.5 million. That's going to be about 10% of the payroll. Uh, wow. And thinking that, you know, he can recapture some of that past glory. He says he's healthy. Uh, talked to Kevin Cash uh, after that workout on Thursday, the first workout. And he said that he thought, you know, Archer not only uh, was in a good place mentally, a good place physically, but also just looked stronger. That he, you know, he was always kind of wiry. You know, he was never mm-hmm. overly muscular, but he wasn't really, you know, thin. He was kind of wiry, I think, with the right word. And according to Cash, he's, he's kind of got a little more upper body strength. He focused on that this year. You know, he had the thoracic outlet surgery. He missed all of 2020. So that would make sense to make him stronger and, you know, sign him to a one-year deal, no options, no incentives. It's a very simple, you know, equation. The Rays and he are taking a gamble. I think both sides and, you know, betting, they're betting he'll do well for them and he's betting he'll do well for himself to get back into a a longer term, higher money contract uh, going forward. And again, all those roles will be determined as to where they use them, how they use them. Starter, uh, bulk guy, we'll see. Um, some other, some other. Look, they got some names. Like I know these pitchers, and they were rolling about four or five years ago for sure. Um, it's so, some think, more uh, recent than that. Well, that was our our friend John Romano had the line, Rick, uh, where he said the Rays are building a great rotation. If it was twenty fifteen, so <laughs> there I you go. Yeah, some people are going to say that. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, but listen, um, it's not as if the, and, and this is where I want to get. Like, I was reading your story about Rich Hill, right? And you're like, we all know who Rich Hill is, and he's pitched a long time. He's got a history with Kevin Cash. Um, was on the wrong side of the Dodgers World Series uh, a couple of times, but look, they can get these guys because one, uh, there's a history of, of of pitchers like them doing exactly this and having success with the Rays and this pitching staff and. And, and the way they've operated, but also they want to win. I mean, this is, you know, the fact that the Rays were in the World Series and the American League East champions, they've been, this could be the third straight year they could go to the playoffs. That's that's sort of helped them, I guess, in a sense, to to, to land some of these guys. No doubt, no doubt. And, and you know, to hear Rich Hill, you know, who we, we know of at least three or four teams that were definitely interested in him, the Mets and Brewers, who, you know, if you look at their place in their divisions, are, are going to be picked to have a chance to compete in, in their divisions. And he said it was very simple to him. He wanted to go to the team with the best chance to win. He felt that was the raise of the opportunities that were presented to him. And, you know, they have that appeal. And there is something to, you know, the raise way of doing things. As much as, you know, we all at times mock it, as much as it's easy to – you know, poke poke at the opener idea and, and, you know, say it's not fair or it's wrong or it's ruining baseball, as some have suggested. And, you know, they've done away with the closer label, things like that. But the Rays get really good pitching out of guys that weren't always pitching really well. And, you know, these couple of guys that they picked up from Boston this week in the trade of Ronaldo Hernandez, yeah. you know, Springs and Mazza, they're guys that were, you know, they were let go by a Boston team that wasn't very good last year. They were, you know, cleared for roster space, but dropped roster space dropped from the 40 man and designated for assignment. But they're guys that the Rays look at and they think they can make this guy better. Michael Waka, when he signed here after a bad year last year with the Mets, a former Cardinal, a former all-star. One of the reasons he came here was the chance to work with the Rays. They see these pitchers, see 
the Rays make guys better. And it's not just Kevin Cash. It's not just Kyle Snyder. It's not just Stan Borowski, the bullpen coach. It's not just the front office. It's not just the analytics. It's not just the secret sauce. I mean, it's it's a combination of all these things. It's the environment. It's the technology. It's the usage. It's the research. It's the data. All those things. And these pitchers, they have an interesting coming here. I thought it was interesting. You mentioned Hernandez. You know, he was their their big catching prospect. Um, not quite ready for the majors, obviously. But were you surprised at all that they parted ways with him? And where does that leave them as an organization with the catching? Yeah, a little surprised, only that he was their guy for a while. I don't think he – I think if he was still here and, and we were going to look at this uh, in one of these elaborate pre-production meetings when Steve caters it again, you know, and we ranked <laughs> the catching prospects – you know, they got a guy named Blake Hunt as a part of the return for Blake Snell from San Diego. And he's uh, only played at the Class A level, but he's got some really, uh, you know, high recommendations, high reviews. And then he may have been eventually considered the higher prospect than Ronaldo Hernandez. They've got another guy from Texas who's got a good bat, Heriberto Hernandez, but they're not sure if he can stick behind the plate. Uh, you know, so they've got a couple of these young catchers. They've got some depth in the system. But, yes, it was a surprise if you just look at it on the surface and say they traded one of their best catching prospects for two pitchers who were DFA'd. But I, I will say this, and, and, you know, I don't say this to sound like a homer. I say this to be realistic. The Rays know Ronaldo Hernandez better than anyone, including Heim Bloom, who used to work for them and now runs the Red Sox. But right. he was in their summer camp. He was at their alt site the whole season. He was on their taxi squad and made all just about all the road trips. He worked out every day in front of the major league staff. He was on the postseason taxi squad. He worked out every day during the playoffs and World Series. I mean, they know what he can do, good and bad. So if they traded him, they didn't trade him thinking, oh, we're trading away this guy. We don't think, you know, hopefully he won't turn out to be real good. They knew, and they said the right things about him, but they didn't trade him, you know, out of ignorance. They traded him because they felt like this was – the right move and the right return, and they had depth in the system uh, catcher-wise if they didn't need to deep reach into it. This segment is brought to you by Marina Bay St. Petersburg, luxury waterfront homes where sports fans and enthusiasts live and play. Marina Bay is a 60-acre gated community on Boca Ciega Bay. All new construction is available right now. If you contact them at marinabaystpete.com or call 727-906-3300. You know, when we spoke last, uh, there's always a lot of change, right? And we're still a long way from opening day or so, it would seem. But um, we mentioned, we talked about Kevin Kiermeyer, who's still on this roster. Mark, is he like the guy in the elevator not trying to make eye contact? Or do we really think he's <laughs> is he, is he going to be here on opening day? <laughs> yeah, it's starting to look that way. And I would agree with you that it did not look that way for part of this offseason. And, you know, I know I wrote something shortly after the World Series that, you know, their financial situation, they were probably going to trade Snell or Kiermaier. And, and I think, you know, Kevin Kiermaier said this, and he said it very tactfully and, and politely and properly, but he was probably the one guy in Tampa Bay who was, quote, unquote, happy to see Blake Snell traded. And only not because it was good for the team. It hurt the team, obviously, but because it meant he probably wasn't going to be traded. And he, right. like I said, mm -hmm. he, he said it better than I just did when I talked to him. But you know, he, he was concerned. This is a guy, you know, like Snell. He's been a lifelong Ray. It's all he's ever known. You know, maybe even a little more so than Snell. Kiermaier's immersed himself in this community. He lives here year-round where Snell went back to Seattle. You see Kevin Kiermaier, you know, when people could go out to lightning games right. and to do mm -hmm. public appearances around town and things like that. I mean, he really relishes being a Tampa Bay Ray. And 
Uh, he went through some of the bad times. He's really enjoying the good times now. So I think he legitimately was concerned he was going to get traded. I think he's fairly relieved right now. He isn't. Uh, he's noted that Eric Neander, the general manager, did a great job of staying you know, in touch with him, keeping him informed, letting him know that, you know, there were some talks, promised him he'd let him know if it got serious. So, you know, I, I think uh, Kevin Kiermaier is somewhat relieved. I mean, think back to last spring. He was at a wedding. It was the day of FanFest. He didn't go to FanFest because he would committed to go to a wedding out of the area. And that night they trade for Manuel Margot, who was a center fielder. And mm. Kiermaier relayed the story to us a couple of days later. He said he was didn't know if he should have another drink or throw up because he wasn't <laughs> sure what it meant for him. And, you know, he kind of survived that. They've got Brett Phillips, who's kind of like Kevin Kiermaier, a lefty, really good defensive player, not as good of an offensive player. So Kiermaier's still here. The Rays could go with the three-center fielder approach and play those three guys late in games at least, if nothing else, and then really try to shut down a, another team that way. I can confirm that decision is is not uh, one or the other. You can actually drink enough to throw up, um, and, and you can you can do both. So that I guess that was not an option for Kevin. Um, I, you know, you mentioned Blake Snell, and of course, no no bigger trade right than than Blake. I mean, your Cy Young Award winner, and yet we've talked about, uh, and, and it'll always come back to this, right? Kevin Cash. I don't know how many times he's got to tell a story about taking him out of that World Series game. But Blake Snell is still talking about it, and he had a thing in the Players' Tribune. One thing I thought was interesting in there, Mark, as you read through the story, he said that you know he was in the zone, and we all know that. We watched the game. He felt like you know he had the goods on every hitter. He knew how to approach them. He had command, all of that. But when he got up for that inning and he looked down in the bullpen and he saw there was somebody up, he said it, it, it got in his head that, 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 that just the mere presence of somebody, and he knew that this was the Rays' way, but then he went out there and kept telling himself, don't give up a hit, don't give up a base runner. Um, does that surprise you at all that, uh, that that would have affected Blake the way it did? Well, I wasn't surprised because he's told that story before in interviews. And I think okay. maybe when he first signed with San Diego, he kind of told that same story. Uh, that, And I, even after the game that night, you know, back in October, sure, he kind of sure. alluded to that, that, you know, seeing uh, Nick Anderson warming up. Because Kevin Cash, I, I couldn't count. On, you know, I, well, I could count on one hand if I could even remember one or two times when he got to the mound and hadn't already decided he was taking the guy out and hadn't already signaled to the bullpen. Maybe it's happened once in his manager right. tenure. So it's too late. It's not like you're going to talk him into it. I mean, somebody on Twitter today was fighting back on those Blake Snell comments and saying, why didn't he just tell him he wanted to stay in? That You don't have that option because, first of all, the manager has the final say, but often he's already made the decision, as Cash did. You look at that video, he'd already pointed to the bullpen way before right. he got to the mound. So I, mm -hmm. I get it. I've heard Blake say it. But I also think that if you're Blake Snell, like, should that really get in your head that much? I mean, you you know he's warming up. It is it going to get in your head and make you try too hard to not give up a hit? Or do you, do you look at it as a challenge or do you just shut it out? So I, I get it. I understand what he said. I thought his comments, for the most part, were very complimentary to the Rays and to Cash and how things were handled, that he understands that his dad coached him growing up. He knows yeah. it's tough to be the coach or the manager. He doesn't mm -hmm. hold it against them that you know that person wants to win. Blake wants to win. They had different views on how to get there, but sure, I, I could see his point. So I wasn't surprised. I'm a little surprised he was as candid as he was about how much it bothered him. Yeah, it was interesting, and, he, and also, and you know this, Mark, because you've been on the side of guys having to get this word that you know being traded was emotional for him. I mean, all he knew were the Rays, and you you know you talk about. Um, relationships you have with clubhouse guys and, and, you know, 
Um, you just know your way around the whole organization. That's all you know. And then to be suddenly, you know, on the outside and having to go learn a new place. I mean, it, 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 it really bothered him to have to leave. So it did. It um, did. And I get it, Rick. And, you know, look, I mean, you know, you and I have been at the Tampa Bay Times for over 30 years. If we were to get traded, which, you know, in our business doesn't happen, but if we were to get traded, it'd be tough too. I mean, I, I get it. Blake Snell, you know, he, I thought he had a great comment after the trade. And, and I know I used it and others did too, where he said, you know, he grew up with the Rays. He felt like he came to them as a kid, which he did right out of high school. A little, you know, a little awkward, a little geeky, not really sure what, what to do. Not sure what this pro ball thing was about. And he's talking about how they made him a man. And, and, you know, look, a rich man, a successful man, but they made him a man. He grew up. They coached him up. They taught him right from wrong. They taught him how to be successful. They taught him how to be a big leaguer. And, you know, I thought he was very, uh, like I said, complimentary and, and proper in, in giving them credit for what they did for him. I'm trying to think if I would be that upset to go to the San Diego Tribune or not. I'm I'm trying to it's a, it's a good place You'd to live. You'd be fine Marcus. until you saw what it cost to rent the place, pal. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is true. And if the salary probably would not be commensurate with that, that's for sure. Um Listen, the thing I don't know, and none of us know, I don't think, Mark, is we, we just lived through a season that was abbreviated with a pandemic where they played playoffs in, in a sort of a sort of a bubble, if you will, or, or not at home, um, and, and different divisions, all of that. And now I'm seeing 162 games. I'm seeing as if, as if it were a regular season, and we all know – that the pandemic is still out here. We don't know at what point we're all going to get past this. There may be some fans. There may not be. Players got to go on the road. I mean, have they have they ironed out the protocols? Are they sort of flying by the seat of their pants a little bit here? What what does baseball look like once we actually have opening day? Well, I think getting through the spring is the first challenge here, Rick, because last year, you know, there was that three-week summer camp uh, you know, the teams yeah. did it at their own sites. So players, you know, for yeah. example, who had been with the Rays before had places, they knew where, you know, they were going to stay or they stayed in the same place or if they owned a home, uh, things like that. They knew where they were going. They they were, you know, for the most part, you know, you were supposed to stay quarantined, but they were in a comfortable position. Now you're taking those guys, you're putting them in, you know, for the most part, less comfortable rentals, the guys that rent places. A lot of people are staying in hotels in the Port Charlotte area, and there aren't a lot of great choices there, but because they were waiting to find out what was going to happen, if spring was going to be delayed or not. So it's going to be a tougher quarantine, I think. Now, the, the rules are a little bit looser. If things go well, I believe March 1st, uh, like a, a switch flips here, and they can go to eat in outdoor uh, places. Up until then, they're supposed to just, you know, pick up, take out, groceries be delivered you know, relatively quarantined. And I think that's going to be tough. Plus, you know, during the regular season, you know, those guys would come to the field even under the little bit of the restrictions at 2 or 3 o'clock, and they're there until, you know, 10 or 11. It's kind of the days. You know, those guys sleep late because they stay up late. It's kind of the spring training. You get up early, you you go, you're done at 11 or 12 sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're allowed to play golf, which will be a popular diversion, not just the Rays, I'm talking about every team. But, you know, those guys are going to have a lot of time, a lot of afternoons, a lot of evenings. And if they're by themselves, especially no family, you're in a small apartment or a small condo or something, it's going to be challenging mentally probably as much as anything. So I think they've got to get through the spring. You know, we'll find out in probably a week or so, you know, once all the intake testing is done and all the full squads are in with all the teams, again, not just the Rays. But, you know, how many positives are there? Are a lot of guys coming in positive because they were careless during the offseason or guys, you know, coming in and mostly testing negative because they were vigilant? I think that's going to be a little bit telling also. 
Well, and then, gonna be... you know, just to, to continue the answer here, then we'll get to the regular season. I think for the most part, talking to a couple of players, you know, at the first day of race camp, they said everything seemed familiar. They were comfortable with it. Pete Fairbanks you know, basically said, in his opinion, wearing a piece of cloth over your face is a small price to play to get to play price to pay to get to play baseball. And, and I kind of, you know, I, I see his point and they're used to it. They can handle it. But we'll see if you can do it over seven months versus over mm. two and a half months like they did last year. Yeah, for sure, and hopefully they won't they won't have to, but it's, it's a possibility. Um, maybe people aren't as interested in this as I am, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What does it look like covering these guys this year? Are we are we in a Zoom mode? Are we are we going to actually be able to get within six feet of anybody, or what what what's the protocol there? So the first workout for pitchers and catchers was Thursday. In a normal year, I would have gone down to Port Charlotte probably on Tuesday. Players would have already been around, would have had access to the complex, would have talked to guys, maybe even Monday. You know, had had a you know a couple days of, of getting getting stories, getting interviews, getting to know mm-hmm. the new guys, things like that. Uh, this year, uh, they're not even allowing media access at the facilities until the full squad workout. So in that case, it'll be Tuesday. So the Rays will have worked out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. No access. I think the Yankees are the only team that's kind of gotten around that because they, I guess, get to make their own rules because they're using the minor league facility over at Himes. So I guess that's not covered by MLB. But no other team is allowing anyone following the MLB rules on site till then. When we get there, we're going to have a very uh, – we're, we're happy to have access to the fields. You kind of called the backfield. The Rays have five fields in their complex, four in a cloverleaf, and then a fifth field off to the side plus a half field for infield drills. We'll have access to see some of what's going on there. Limited window, very limited space, uh, spot where we can watch from. Uh, very mm-hmm. strict rules by MLB that they had to create basically a separate path so we didn't cross paths with the players or the staff, anybody kind of in the Tier 1 or Tier 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, all interviews are going to be on Zoom. Some teams are allowing, um, like they call you know, distanced one-on-one interviews. Uh, hopefully the Rays will get to that point. At least initially they're not. They are talking about maybe having a press conference where it'll be a distance press conference. Uh, to kick off the first day of workouts next week. But otherwise than that, it's going to be get to know the iPad and the computer screen really well again. And it's uh, tough, I Rick. I mean, I don't, no one, I'm not saying this for people to feel sorry for us. You just went through it with an incredible buck yeah. season that lasted like seven years, it felt like for you. And, um, but it's tough. You don't get the, the ability, the access to these guys, the ability to develop a bond and develop a trust, even to ask follow-up questions because you're, you know, you're in a communal setting. Everything's on zoom. There's a bunch of people Mm -hmm. lined up to ask questions. You know, you may get a couple, you may, you know, if you have some ability, you know, connections or you have a guy's number, maybe you can text with them or set up a separate phone call. But for the most part, everything's being done in the, the communal zoom format. And it's hard to tell the stories that we pride ourselves on telling. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And though you do, you've done a great job all last year. I mean, the team went all the way to the World Series, obviously. So um, they they were a good story. The Bucks were a good story, obviously. And that's the thing about the Rays. Like I I think there's every expectation if you look at their ball club, and we'll see how the pitching works out. Able to make something out of uh, out of their matchups and all of that. This looks like another team that's going to go back to the postseason. If they do, Mark, they've never gone three, and I didn't realize it, they've never gone three straight years to the postseason. Um, they may not be picked to win the AL East. I'm sure the Yankees always get that title by default. But this is a really good ball club. I mean, they were good when they finished the year. They could be better again this year. Yeah, that's why it's going to be interesting to see how this pitching approach works because the, the lineup on the field is going to be similar to last year, and 
you know, look, everyone, you know, has a different perspective. The Rays are, of course, going to see this optimistically. They're looking at the fact that they got as far as they did in a shortened season, granted, with very little from Austin Meadows, who was their, you know, co-team MVP in 2019, with very little from Yoshi Tsutsugo, who they brought in with a a very uh, impressive track record of success in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a couple other guys. Yandi Diaz didn't do very much. Injuries were a big issue. G-Man Choi missed one of the two months. I mean, sure, they got an incredible surprise in Randy Arozarena, and that might offset all the things I just mentioned as far as being negative. But they're looking at it as, you know, the guys that were good last year are still going to be good, and the guys that were bad are going to be better. So they feel like they're going to be net improved offensively. Now, we can debate that, and probably on another show we could once we get a better feel for you know where they're going to line these guys up, who stays healthy and things. But the pitching is going to be the key, and it's been that way for the Rays before, and maybe even more so this year as they navigate these challenges of re- rebuilding the rotation and trying to figure out how do you cover all these innings when maybe all these guys can't get stretched out as much because they had a short year last year. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Breitling Boutique. Breitling Boutique is an international plaza. You know, it's one of only 15 in the United States. They've welcomed championship quarterbacks and Hall of Famers and boxers as clients. But they treat everyone the same, and they'll treat you terrific when you come in, too. Just tell them Rick and Steve sent you. And just for trying on one of those beautiful Swiss watches, you'll get a free Breitling cap valued at $60. That's Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. Mark, for years, you were in uh, the coverage of the pursuit of Major League Baseball in Tampa Bay. We finally got a team in 1998. Now we have too many teams. We've got the Toronto Blue Jays as well. Um, They're going to be starting their season uh, at their spring training home in Dunedin. Uh, You wrote all about that as well in the Tampa Bay Times, as if the Rays weren't enough. So tell me uh, what what are the Jays' reaction to that, and would they stay here uh, presumably, if if uh, they can't open Canada the way it's been, yeah, it's interesting, Rick. I mean, I think and you know have wrote wrote a couple times about this over the last few weeks that Dunedin was clearly the the uh, Jays' top choice. I mean, it was just the most convenient setup for them. You know, last year they went to Buffalo. That was their AAA facility after spending the first couple weeks of the the season when it re when it restarted in late July on the road as, as they were waiting for Buffalo to get ready. They tried a bunch of different options. They were, you know, kind of nomads and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. barnstormers, whatever you want to call it. So I think this year they made a much more clear decision. Their team president, Mark Shapiro, said so on Thursday that the idea was, let's just take that uncertainty away. This is going to work for us. They're going to start the year here. Uh, I think it helps them. It makes sense. They're already here. They've mm-hmm. got a facility. Look, so they're going to have a thousand fans. If they went to Buffalo and they had, you know, under the New York state guidelines, I think they'd end up with about the same amount, if that anyway. So right. it's not going to be a big deal. The fans are there to create a little bit of atmosphere for the players. It's not going to make mm-hmm. the Blue Jays a ton of money. It's going to be a novelty. You know, on April 8th, the Rays are off and the Blue Jays are going to be playing in Dunedin at TD Ballpark against the Angels and, and Mike Trout and Joe Madden. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, you know, it, it sounds good, but... <laughs> Yeah, you know, they're not. I'm there. A, yeah, I mean, right? I mean, why not? Um, and then That's the next great. day, the Rays play the Yankees and raise the AL pennant while the Yankees have to watch. So it's a pretty good, you know, 36 hours if you're a baseball <laughs> fan. But um, look, how long are they going to stay? I mean, they're hoping that they can get back to Canada. They announced just the first two homestands, which really just takes them to into May. Uh, they're hoping that they can get back to Canada at some point. Is that realistic? Probably not, given where things are now and they would need some lead time. But 
They're also not really keen on trying to stay here through the whole summer. The rain and the heat is going to be oppressive. It's going to be an issue. Sharing the trough's not going to work. You know, there's no easy solution. So uh, they're, they're basically set this up as kind of their worst case scenario is they start in Dunedin. If they can't get back to Canada by the middle of the season, they move to Buffalo, probably, you know, early June play there, which they then have to kick their own AAA team out and relocate them somewhere else. They're working on that plan now uh, as we speak or, or will be shortly. Then potentially move again to Toronto if they can get back there late in the season. So their their stronger preference is start the year here, hope that Toronto looks like it's going to open up late May, early June, even if they have to suffer through you know, June and, and deal with the rainouts and the weather, but knowing that they're going to get back late June or early July, all-star break, something like that, I think they would do it to eliminate the the logistical hassles and the financial hassles of moving twice. But that that's their goal is they're looking at it as Dunedin, Buffalo, Toronto. If they can skip Buffalo and get right back to Toronto, that'll be better. In the meantime, you know, look, it's kind of cool. I'm sure the, the Rays were, according to the Blue Jays, to Mark Shapiro, the Rays were great about this. You know, very uh, willing to help, you know, very accommodating, no issues. They had a grant permission, obviously. You know, and I don't, again, a thousand tickets, it's not going to be a big deal. The Rays are hoping to open the trop with limited attendance. It'll be around 7,000. So, you know, it's not like the old days where one, you know, if they both had big stadium, they both were competing, you know, maybe they're battling for fans. I don't think it's going to get looked at that way. I think it's more as this was a good accommodation for the Blue Jays. It was the best solution for them and their players. They're a really good team. I, I do think it's interesting. We did talk to some of the Dunedin City officials on Thursday, and some of them were really open in saying how they're big Blue Jay fans and they're really excited. And I think it was the city manager said maybe they'll get some of the magic in the water from Title Town and win a, win a championship. Well, hey, whoa, you know, whoa, team in town might want to win a championship too. So, wait, of those people might have got a little carried away. Yeah, you can't say that. I mean, geez, a, a team starting their season in Florida and then moving to Canada somewhere in the middle of the summer, I don't know where such an idea would have started. Actually. <laughs> Isn't there a little bit of irony there to, to be discussed oh, at every time? <laughs> just, just a little bit over a cold Labatt's, I'm sure. Um, no doubt about it. Well, he's Mark Topkin, and, and you can read uh, about the Tampa Bay Rays and their start of spring training and – everything that they've got going on. The, the season is here. It looks like a full one, Mark. I hope you've saved up plenty of protein shakes for the year, man. It's going to be – looks like they're going to go the distance. It's pretty pretty incredible well, that it's I, here I already. I appreciate but, you letting me tag along on the, the back end of that Super Bowl run. It was it was fun. That was fun. See all, the, see all the great work you guys were doing and uh, to be a little bit a part of that. But I do wish there were a little bit more than one week between the Super Bowl and the start of spring oh, training, i got to admit. No kidding. I know. <laughs> That's the problem. The NFL ran too long, and it ran too long here for sure. So we we used up all our all our time that uh, normally you know you'd actually I don't know do something personal, but uh, but we won't worry about that right now. So check them out, TampaBay.com. Mark Topkin. Thanks, Mark. All right, guys. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. 
My thanks to Mark. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, not as uh, lucky when it comes to playing games. Of course, you know, all of Texas is in a deep freeze and without power, so uh, their road trip was canceled to Dallas. They got now four games to make up with the Dallas Stars, which will be um, interesting to see how they can pull that off. But um, it's got to be, you know, Steve, it's got to be hard to, like, get some momentum for a season. You know what I mean? Like, when you're when you're having to cancel games and things like that. It is, um, and the players have talked about that, although, as John Cooper mentioned on Thursday, uh, you know, anytime you get to practice, it's good. So they, you know, they weren't That's happy true. with the way they played against Florida for at least two of the three games. Um, so yeah. they get the chance to work on some things. And, you know, as some of the players said today, you know, hey, any night in our own bed is a good night. So yeah, there's no know, doubt about they that. They don't have to go on the road for a couple of days. They'll, Sunday they'll leave for Carolina. They have one road game there, and then they return home for back-to-back against Carolina Wednesday and Thursday, and they're home for a little bit after that. But um, it's going to mean you know either they're going to extend the season again. Right now they're scheduled to end May 10th. They could add a couple of games there or squeeze them in throughout the season with Dallas. Uh, but obviously they uh, the gods do not want a Stanley Cup rematch. No, I'm sure they don't. Since they haven't missed, they haven't played it yet. They've had four games scheduled that none of them have been played. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, well, well, we'll see if they're able to get that done. In the meantime, folks, have a great weekend. This has been a tough week. Um, I know, you know, it's sort of taking the luster off the the Bucks winning. I mean, all that's gone on with with Vincent and um, you know the weather in Texas. I know people have people that are concerned about what's going on there as well, but. Uh, should be a nice weekend, a beautiful weekend here in Tampa Bay. Go out, do something, enjoy yourselves. Second weekend without football, we'll all survive. Baseball's coming, hockey's in play. We're good. And we'll be here on Monday to talk about it on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend. <laughs>